We're going to read from Genesis 46, 30, verse 31 to 47, 27. And Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up to Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from even our youth until now, both we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers, with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen, and from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, We, or excuse me, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They say to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. If you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not obtained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the day of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his brothers, excuse me, his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. <clears throat> now, there was no food in all the land, for famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain they had bought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to, to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, 
we will not hide from our, my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for all the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priest had a fixed, inc- fixed allowance from Pharaoh, and he lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave him. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. At the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be yours as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your household, as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt that stands to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they greatly, excuse me, they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Father, we ask now that you would help us to be diligent doers. Uh, You have been kind to speak to us week after week in Genesis, and we pray right now that you would speak again and that your voice would be loud and clear and that I would decrease and you would increase. Lord, we have not gathered starting with this preacher, uh, to hear the words of men. We have gathered to hear the words of God. We pray that that would take place now for your glory. Amen. Friends, there are those who would say, Because God is for me, I will be rich in this life. Because God is with me, I will be healed in this life. Because I'm an overcomer in Jesus, there's no power in heaven or hell 
that can keep me from becoming the healthy, wealthy, and prosperous child of God that I was meant to be in this life. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to receive it. I'm not going to let any human naysayer or evil spirit stand in my way. You heard that before? I won't ask if you've thought that before, but we can certainly go there and we hear that many places in many ways. And I wonder what you would say in response. How would you reply? If a friend said that to you. Well, friend, I would simply say this in response, that that neither health nor wealth in this life are infallible indicators of the favor of God. And then I would go further. (laughs) Because it is the height of folly. And and it is a despicable misrepresentation of the word of God to tell someone that if they are really following Jesus, not just sort of, but really following Jesus, then he will lavish them with health and wealth in this life. That's despicable. And many of you know that's a lie. You know that because because you perceive the difference between the true gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and all he did to accomplish salvation for mankind, and a false gospel that twists the savior of the world into the butler of our human desires. It's not that hard to take pot shots at that position in church like this because you've been well taught. But I'm not here today to rail on the prosperity gospel. I'm not because there there is an equally serious danger on the other side of that issue. Okay? So listen very carefully, friends. It is the danger of downplaying or denying the surpassing goodness and lavish generosity of the God who provides, especially for his people. I would argue that's this church's danger to to in response to the, the lies that I shared at the very beginning, we would downplay and go so far as to deny the lavish generosity of God in this life toward his people. And it sounds like this. Because Jesus came to meet my spiritual needs, he doesn't care so much about my physical needs. After all, Jesus, Jesus said what? In this world you will have trouble, so that's about all I expect to seek. <laughs> I'm sure heaven will be amazing, but I've pretty much given up on experiencing anything but trouble on the earth. And if you've thought that, 
I've thought that, then I want to warn and admonish you this morning by saying this. Friend, you, you may very well be trying to, to make sense of your present suffering, because we're prone to do that. We want to do that, right? By, by creating a God in your own mind who looks nothing like the God of the Bible. That's really easy to do. Listen to who the God of the Bible is. Psalm 112, verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. In a church like this, those two words, wealth and riches, we start getting real uncomfortable. But you realize that's in the Bible? Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things won't matter to you. No. We'll be added to you. And in case you missed that, Philippians 4 verse 19. What does Paul say to the church in Philippi? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hear this, Kingsway. There is no temporal exception to the lavish goodness of God. There's a timetable that doesn't always line up with what we want or when we want to get it. But please understand this. There, there's no life on earth excluded clause to the surpassing goodness of God. What, what does God's word give us? Not just once, but, but over and over and over again, Genesis 46 and 47 included. It gives us this. Listen, an eternal, unqualified, all-encompassing body and soul assurance of the lavish generosity of God toward the people of God. That's what it does give us. And if in your mind you have rejected the so-called prosperity gospel and wound up with a stingy, miserly, just cares about my soul God, then you don't know the God of the Bible. So I ask you, what kind of God are you worshiping? What kind of God are you following? Because we can twist his words, right? Sometimes really good at that. We can misrepresent his words, but I think it's exceedingly difficult to actually hear his words, to, to listen to what he says to us in passages like this and not conclude that God's people should live with a glad and eager expectation of material provision from the generous king who delights to pour out his blessing on his people. Because the, the way God cares for Jacob and his entire family, and then it just kind of adds on top of that the entire nation of Egypt and in a very material way, that's meant to do something in your heart. 
What's the divinely intended effect of this? It's not just a kind of, oh, that's a new data point for my Bible record knowledge. No, what's, what's this meant to do in your heart, in my heart? I think it's meant to build on us a quiet and steady confidence in the faithfulness of God to provide. That's what it's supposed to do. And not just in spiritual ways, but in explicitly material ways. Because that's the focus here. And I think there are at least seven enduring marks of the Lord's material provision in this passage. And yes, that means this is going to be a seven-point sermon. <laughs> no, that does not mean I'm going to keep you here till noon. So here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to linger on the bookends, like the early points, the later points, and then we're going to go real fast in the middle. God bless the translators. So... What do we learn about God's material provision in Genesis 46 and 47? Okay, think of it this way. Point number one. God's material provision is generous. It's generous. Thank you, Kevin. So what's the background here? Well, having successfully brought his entire extended family to to Egypt at Pharaoh's invitation, what does Joseph do next? He seeks to establish a permanent immigration status, if I could use that word, for his family. Genesis 46, 33. What's he say? Look at the word of God. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what's your occupation? You shall say, I was asked that when I went through customs a few weeks ago. Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. That's kind of surprising. Well, having spent a lot of time studying this, I'm still not clear why the Egyptians didn't like nomadic shepherds. We, We don't know that for certain. We also don't know if the title keeper of livestock was a more palatable or respectable term in Egypt than shepherd. It seems they're basically equivalent, and yet the fact that that Joseph conspicuously avoids both terms in Genesis 47.1 when he goes in and actually talks to Pharaoh suggests that neither one of them is an ideal occupation in Pharaoh's mind. Pharaoh gets the gist. It's a less than respectable occupation. But but here's the main point, okay? And here we find the application. Jacob's family has nothing with which to commend themselves or to merit favor from Pharaoh other than their connection to Joseph. Notice that. And yet, Pharaoh demonstrates what? extraordinary, lavish generosity to them in a very practical way. So look at verse 5, chapter 47. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, after all the back and forth formalities have been done, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now, because I think most of us probably don't, well, the land of Goshen, what's that? Well, that was also known at a, in a later date as the land of Ramses. And most likely that represents the, the eastern part of the Nile Delta in northern Egypt. And in Genesis 45, where Joseph 
verse 10, first expresses his desire to get his family in Goshen, we learn two important things about Goshen, okay? One, living in Goshen would keep Jacob and his family near to where Joseph lived. And two, Goshen was uniquely suitable for pasturing livestock, which is what Jacob and his family did. Why was it suitable? Well, most likely because it had abundant natural irrigation all over the place. It's in a delta, so there's lots of good pasture land. And this dwelling place that that Joseph implicitly suggested to Pharaoh, Genesis 47.1, and the brothers explicitly requested in 47.4, Pharaoh immediately grants in verse 6. And Joseph quickly provides in verse 11. And think about this. It's nothing less than the best of the land of Egypt. It's the best of the land of Egypt for Jacob and his family. In other words, there was nothing better that Pharaoh could give them because no better land existed. He, he withheld no form of landed blessing because Goshen was exceedingly good in every way. What, what does that tell us about God's faithfulness to provide, friends? What's, what's that tell us about his generosity? It reminds us that the Lord's provision isn't survival rations. We don't serve a God of of MREs. It's not barely enough. It's it's lavish, right? It's it's generous. It's abundant. It's in a material sense exactly what they needed to flourish and become all God had created them to be. Now, how's that connect to us? Well, as sinners... Please hear this. We don't deserve God's material generosity, right? Any more than Jacob deserved Pharaoh's. There's there's nothing you can do, friend, to merit God's material provision in your life. There's nothing you can do. God God doesn't owe you. You owe God. (laughs) And Joseph's brothers were were an abomination, that's a strong word, verse 34, to the Egyptians because of the Egyptians' prejudice, right? That's not a good thing. And yet sinners like us are an abomination to God because of his holiness. An exceedingly good thing. And yet through faith in Christ... And, and, the, and the spiritual union with Christ, our faith affects, what, what has God the Father done? If he has united you to Christ through faith, what has he done? As Josh said earlier, he has lavished spiritual and material generosity on you in Jesus Christ. And he's, he's given you his word, a, a promise of provision for all your needs that is far more assuring and far more certain than Pharaoh. Psalm 84 verse 11. No good thing does he withhold, does God withhold, from those who walk uprightly. Now, you know what we tend to do when we see a promise like that? We say, well, here's five reasons I must not be upright. That pastor on stage is, I hope, (laughs) but I'm not. So that must be why I'm still waiting for what I want. 
Well, think about it. Who, who is the upright? Who are the upright? Well, they are, on this side of Calvary, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That's who the upright are. So what kind of, what kind of provision has God promised the upright? The best possible provision in every way, right? That's the promise, both spiritual and material. In other words, Christian, if you are united to Christ by faith, then know this, God has promised to withhold no good thing from you. Not one good thing from you. He, he's content with nothing less than the best for his children. And he has unlimited resources at his divine disposal. So, so God's material provision for his people, it's not miserly. It's not stingy. It's not, well, you ought to just be grateful I saved your soul. So can you quit complaining about the MRE? No. It's generous. No good thing to see with from those who walk uprightly. Point number two, it's also comforting. God's provision is generous. His material provision is also comforting. So, so again, how, how do we tend to think about the goodness of God? Let's just kind of take a knee and be honest. How do we tend to think? Well, we tend to interpret what? Physical troubles, physical challenges, material suffering as a sign that God has not blessed us. And physical prosperity and material blessing as a sign that God has blessed us. So if you have all the things that you feel like you need, God has blessed you. If you don't have all the things that you feel like you need, God has not blessed you. It's either one or the other. You're either suffering and not loved by God or you are prospering and exceedingly loved by God. Because we're always looking to something that doesn't require faith to tell us if God loves us. It's either one or the other. And so when our, our temporal fortunes in a fallen world inevitably fall, because they inevitably will, we start wringing our hands and calling our friends and making appointments with our pastors <laughs> because we want to know, what do I have to do to get back in the good graces of God? Give me something to do. Because I really need his help right now. There are all kinds of problems with that way of thinking. <laughs> Starting with the fact that we can never earn the blessing of God, right? I said that earlier, whether it's spiritual or, or physical. We, we can only never receive the blessing of God as a gift of faith. More on that in the next point. But this point here, what I want us to focus on right now, is found in chapter 47, verse 9, in Jacob's reply to Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh asked Jacob a question, basically, how long have you lived? And formal Egyptian talk. And Jacob replies, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. What's he saying? I've lived a long time, but I've had a really hard life full of suffering. And where Isaac and Abraham lived to like roughly 180, I've only lived to about 130. Lots of trouble, lots of difficulty. And when I first read that, you know what I thought? I thought, Jacob, where is thy faith? 
where's your faith? I mean, come on, man, give me something to preach. Like it's been hard, but God's been good. You know, or I've suffered a lot, but in the end, God worked it all out. And then it occurred to me, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Our our experience of God's blessing in a fallen world, material blessing included, it's not something that we experience absent suffering and sorrow, right? As if you're either on the God is providing for me train or the there is suffering and sorrow train and nary the two shall meet, right? Rather, God's material provision is a comfort we experience in the midst of our suffering and sorrow. Those are so different, friends. So different. So, think about it. Were were Jacob's years few and evil or were Jacob's years filled with the goodness of God? (laughs) Yes! Right? Both! And so when I say God's provision isn't just generous, it's comforting, I don't mean that his material blessings ensure the absence of material trouble. Please don't hear that and think this is an either-or proposition where God's either providing for me and life is awesome, or he is not providing for me and it is terrible. Don't do that. Because God's material provision meets us in the midst of our trouble and alleviates the pain of our troubles, even as we join the patriarchs and all the saints that have gone before us in waiting for heaven for a total end to all our troubles. So in that sense, God's material provision brings real comfort in the midst of real trouble together. But please notice that is very different than saying If you really trusted God, then he would give you a really big house. Very different, okay? The former, God's blessings bring real comfort and real trouble, is a precious gift. The latter is a lie from the pit of hell. Keep those clear. And if you need help, like all of us do, let Jesus help you in Mark 10, 29. Listen listen to these expectation-shaping words. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters. You, You realize this is like a material list, right? Or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not be so grateful for all I have spiritually given them that they don't care about their material needs. No, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Though again, we don't always understand it. It's not on our timetable, but the promise stands. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands because I'm on the blessing train only. No, with persecutions, with trouble, with difficulty, and in the age to come, eternal life. He holds them together. It's generous. It's comforting. Point number three, God's material provision is mediated. It's mediated. And that's a big word that simply means it comes to us through a channel. 
God's provision, friend, never comes to you independently or in isolation. And I alluded to this point earlier when I pointed out that Jacob and his family, they only received that possession in the land of Goshen because of their connection to who? To Joseph, right? God's blessing didn't just come to them directly. It came through Joseph. Look at verse 11, chapter 47. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. It was given to them. And and the same was true, notice this, in Jacob's relationship with Pharaoh, right? So so God didn't bless Pharaoh independently. How How did God bless Pharaoh? He blessed him through Jacob. Look at verse 7, chapter 47. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And in case you missed that, it shows up again in verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Do you know what that is? That's a fulfillment of the promise God made to his grandfather Abraham back in Genesis 12, 3, that in you and in your family and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jacob is mediating God's blessing to a pagan people, just like Joseph is mediating God's blessing to Jacob and his family. And God's provision for Egypt fits the same pattern. Look at verse 25, chapter 47. The Egyptian people praised Joseph saying what? What do they say? You have saved our lives. That's pretty strong. So what do we have? Three cases where God's blessings are mediated by someone. And praise God for that example, friends. Why praise God? Because that's exactly how God's blessings come to his people today. To you. We don't, we don't rest them from God's hand. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the lie that I was talking about earlier. What do I have to do, pastor, to get back on the blessing train? Well, I'm so sorry. Grab a tissue if you need it. There is nothing you can do. <laughs> nothing you can do. We, we don't wrangle God's blessings. It's not like with enough prayer, enough quiet times, we finally get God tied up in a chair like in a Western. And we're like, give me my blessings. I gotcha. <laughs> You can't do that to the king of kings. We, we, we don't extract blessing from him. I mean, so many illustrations. It, it's almost like we, we think we're some sort of CIA agent and we can, like, torture God into, okay, okay, even blessed you. No, 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 no. God's material and spiritual blessing are eternally secured and lavished on us through Jesus Christ. What did Paul assure the church in Philippi as they poured out what little financial resources they possessed to support his frontier mission work? Philippians 4 verse 19. Look at this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory Where? Where? In Christ Jesus, that's where. But but notice, it's not, and my God will supply all you spiritually need and kind of leave you to hang on materially till you get to heaven and it's awesome. No, it is every need of yours, Christian. Spiritual and material. And where are all of those needs found? How, How do all of that provision, material provision included, how does it all come to us? It comes to us through Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, let's get practical. 
What do you do if right now as I'm preaching, you are thinking, I have a very significant material need in my mind. And I'm hoping at some point it comes up in one of his illustrations so I know what the heck to do with it. Well, here's what you do with it. I don't know what it is, but here's what you do with it, okay? You bring it to Jesus by sharing it with him through prayer. That's what you do. Confident, confident that through him and him alone, you have free access to all the resources of heaven. That's what Christians do. And and when we have a material need, but we don't feel worthy of God's material provision, we don't cower in a corner or try to get our life together. We step forward with boldness and we keep on asking because we are confident that all of God's blessings, including material provision, they don't come to us because like, well, well, God, here, uh, I did that. Like, and uh, I gave that. No, they come to us because of Jesus. Not just because God somehow randomly loves Jesus more than us. He's like, oh, you're with Jesus? Well, bummer, because now I have to bless you. (laughs) No. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could not be more pleasing in God's sight. And if you are united to Jesus Christ by faith, then you know what? In God's sight, you are just as righteous as Jesus is. It's stunning. It's mediated. These just keep getting better. Point number four. God's provision is specific. Look at verse 12. Should have been like a 10-point sermon. (laughs) Verse 12. And Joseph provided for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food. According to the number of of their dependence. Think about that. Let me tell you, as a husband who wants to provide for his wife, and as a father who wants to provide for his children, and as a pastor who even when I'm on vacation and thinking about all of you (laughs) and want to provide for you however I can, I recognize that the battle with trusting the provision of God, including in a material sense, isn't just about trusting God to provide for me, but it's about trusting God to provide for all the other people I care for. You know what I'm talking about? You young dads out there? I, you know, I love it when a young couple, first child to death, like, this is awesome! And then you kind of get him in private, and he's like, dude, I am so freaking out. I don't know how I'm going to do this! Like, that's right! You can't do this. You need God's provision. So what do we learn about God's provision from verse 12? Verse 12 reminds us that God's material provision, notice that, it was very material. What is it? Well, it's perfectly tailored to the specific needs of his people in all their various life situations. Married, single, Lots of kids, no kids. Notice it doesn't say, and Joseph made a general categorical provision, come and get it one size fits all for his extended family. No, what did he say? As a channel of God's provision, God provided for his father, all his unique needs as an old, aging patriarch, for his brothers, they had a lot of needs, for his father's household, that's all their servants. All that they would have been tempted to say, well, 
why pray for them? And all their dependents, their kids. Friend, God's material provision, it is so specific. Your, your need isn't known to God in general. He's aware of the details. He's aware of the unique dynamics. And just like Joseph, God through Joseph, provided specifically in a very detailed way for all of God's people who had a need, so too in Jesus Christ, God will provide specifically for you in the details exactly what you need. Point five, God's provision is timely. Not just specific, it's timely. So look at verse four, chapter 47. Brothers reply to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Think about that. Think about when did God provide material blessing and generous provision for his people? Was it A, 2.8 years before the famine showed up so that they could remain on the blessing alone train? Or was it B, after they had experienced two very hard years of famine and were acutely aware of their absolute dependence on God? What's the second one? What, what do we want God to do? Now, let's just be honest. We want God to provide for us in such a way that we never have a material need. Right? That's what we want. But, but what does God delight to do? Not what we want, what we need, right? He delights to, to bring us to a point where we're acutely aware of our material need so that we are in a place where we recognize our absolute dependence on God to provide for our material need. And the delay in his provision, the, the wait, if you would, the two-year wait for the land of Goshen, it wasn't a punishment, right? It was God waiting for the perfect time to bring about his perfect provision to accomplish his perfect plan. And notice his timing proved to be spot on. It wasn't a moment too late. Look at verse 13, chapter 47. Look how severe this situation back home in Canaan gets not long after the Lord brought them to Goshen. Listen, now there was no food in all the land. For the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. What, what did the Lord's timing prevent from happening to his chosen people? From almost certain starvation and destitution. Just the right time. Just the right time. He's intimately aware of Israel's imminent material need. And friend, he is no less aware of your own. No less aware of your own. And at just the right time, in just the right way, God will provide for you. You can trust him. Point six, God's provision is universal. Universal. That this whole middle section, verses 15 to 26 or so, it, it explains how God used Joseph and the grain that he had stored up for Pharaoh before the famine, right? Because there were, there were seven years of plenty. 
He used all that to preserve the life of the people of Egypt. So think about this. When, when all their money's gone, Joseph graciously allows them to, to mortgage their livestock, their lands, and, and eventually their physical labor in exchange for food and seed during the final year of famine to sow in their fields. And he establishes only one further requirement. They have to return 20% of their future harvest to Pharaoh, verse 24. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own. By the way, that was about 13% lower of a tariff than was common for sovereigns to charge in the ancient Near East. So incredibly gracious. As seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households, as food for your little ones. And then in verse 25, they express their gratitude. So, so here's what we need to think about. Why does Genesis linger so long? That's a lot of verses. On God's provision for a people who did not worship him. Right? I mean, they, they were pagans, the Egyptians. They, they, don't, they don't believe in Yahweh. They don't serve Yahweh. And if you know the next book of the Bible in Exodus, what do they do to God's people? They horribly enslave them, right? So, so I'm partly thinking, well, famine, eh? <laughs> Why don't we just decrease your numbers <laughs> so that you can't do nothing to my people? Well, God doesn't do that. Why? Why? Why would God bless utter pagans? Why does God bless sinners like us? Psalm 145 verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Matthew 5.45. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Luke 6, 35. For he is kind. The Father is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Praise God for that, friends. No hope without that, right? And and there's a distinctly universal character to God's material provision that continues to this day. And yet, that does not mean that God provides for all people equally. Let's linger on point seven. God's provision in a material sense is particular. It's particular. Two questions for you. Are we all broken? Yes. I don't care what culture you live in, I don't care what time you live in, we are all broken. Question two, are we all equally blessed? No. No. Listen very carefully, because more than anything else, Genesis 46 and 47 reveal that it is the people of God that are uniquely blessed by God people of God that are uniquely blessed by God. So so do verses 15 to 26 of 47 reinforce the Lord's blessing on all that he has made? Yes. But that's not all they do because they provide a sharp contrast. And this is a very sharp contrast, friends, to verse 27 and what happens to the chosen people of God. Look there. 
Verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. What happened to the Egyptians? Well, through Joseph, mediated through Joseph, the Lord sustained their life, right? They survived. That, that was a miracle in and of itself. But what happened to God's chosen people, to, to the family with whom he had made an eternal covenant? Well, they, they didn't just survive. They didn't just live. They prospered. So what happened to the Egyptians? They lost all their possessions. Even their liberty, eventually. What happened to Israel? Verse 27. And they gained possessions. They gained possessions in it, were fruitful, and multiplied greatly. The Egyptians lost their possessions. Israel gained possessions. And note, the only parallel to the Israelites' experience, the only parallel to what they experienced among the Egyptian people were the Egyptian priests. Think about that. They were the only Egyptians, the Egyptian priests, whose land and persons didn't become Pharaoh's. So what does that make the entire nation of Israel in comparison? a nation of priests. And some 400 years later, the Lord explicitly announced after Israel had left Egypt what he implicitly revealed in this very chapter, Exodus 19.6, and you, Israel, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So in Egypt, it was this supposedly, the special relationship that the priest had with these so-called gods that preserved their property. For Israel, it was the special relationship she had with the one true God that didn't just preserve her property, but actually increased her prosperity in the midst of famine. And notice that phrase in verse 27. They were fruitful and multiplied greatly. You know where we've seen that before? All the way back in Genesis 128. Right? What did God say to Adam and Eve, to the first man and woman? Be fruitful and multiply. So what's going on here? God is making a loud statement, friends, that you know what? Even in the midst of a worldwide languishing, destitution-creating, liberty-losing famine, my people are going to prosper. My people are going to fulfill the mission that I created them for, not because they are great, but because I am great and because I am faithful and I will do for them exactly what I have promised to do for them. They didn't just survive. They thrived. And time and time and time and time and time again, if you read this entire book, who does it go well with? The righteous. The righteous. Our blessings start with spiritual salvation from sin and death. And, and that alone would be reason to praise God. But they don't stop there. They include significant expressions of physical and material blessing just like they did for Israel. I love that passage. We didn't coordinate this. That Josh read earlier from 2 Corinthians. Okay, look at it again. 
what do you have? You got the Corinthians being exhorted by Paul as they're following Jesus in this, in this lifestyle of radical giving to the saints in need. What's God promised them? Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every work. He kind of runs out of superlatives. And in context, that's an explicit promise of what? Material blessing. Physical blessing. When we are faithful to serve the Lord, God is faithful to provide for us. That's the point. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now please hear this because this is where we can totally take the, oh yeah, I'm on the blessing train and just kind of drive it on our own track. So hear this. Mind you, the Father doesn't bless us to make much of us. Okay? He blesses us so we can make much of him. And the, and the measure of the wealth he entrusts to us is the measure of the stewardship he requires from us. God hasn't blessed you to make you a cul-de-sac of his blessing. He blesses you materially, Christian, so you can be a conduit of his blessing. But the whole point of these chapters, 47, 46, is that God delights to pour out material blessing on his redeemed people in a way that sets them apart as the unique recipients of his fatherly affection. So in closing, if you're a Christian, I challenge you to remember this. Your God did not create you for an ascetic species of spiritual fruitfulness. Translation, soul is great, material provision is abysmal. Not in the least. He created you as an embodied soul for for a life of holistic satisfaction and joy in him and in all that he has made. And so when the Lord richly provides you with material blessings to enjoy, what do you do? What do you do? Well, Lord, help me to remember that these really don't matter and you don't really care about that. Thank you for Jesus. No, no, what do you do? You humbly receive them as a generous, comforting, specific, timely, universal, and particular blessing from the hand of God. So, I think there are three ways, at least, three forms of repentance that we do well to consider. First, to the the degree that you have downplayed or denied God's commitment to provide for all your material needs. Friend, you need to repent. We need to repent of thinking that God cares more for our souls than our bodies. He, he, He cares for every part of you because he created every part of you. And furthermore, in Jesus Christ, he's redeemed every part of you. 
Okay, second, where, where, wherever we have doubted a particular aspect of God's goodness, it's, it's timeliness, it's specificity, it's generosity, we, we also need to repent. Why do we need to repent where we've doubted that? Because when we're doubting that, we're shrinking our expectations of God to what seems to make sense to us instead of letting the word of God blow them up in our minds for what they actually are. And third, another way we might need to repent if you have tried to earn God's material blessings, instead of trusting Jesus to freely grant all you need to you, then you need to repent. Because through your self-efforts that feel so noble to you, you have effectively turned God into a cosmic genie. Instead of trusting him humbly as the savior that he is. We serve a faithful God, friends, who delights to lavish surpassing goodness on his people in particular. And so I leave you with Psalm 31, verse 19, and with this we will sing to the Lord, Kevin. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of of the children of mankind. Stand with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. So thankful. That even though we and many around us are sorely tempted to make you that divine genie, to try to turn you into our secret weapon, to get all the stuff we want, to, to make you the servant of our material desires instead of submitting all material desires to you who have first served us in Christ. We're so thankful that, that even though that is our temptation, that you don't respond by saying, you know what, I'm just going to care for your soul. <laughs> so be grateful. Oh, Lord, we, we declare to you right now, we are so grateful. Those of us who have been united to your son by faith, your children, your followers, we are so grateful that you have redeemed our souls. But Lord, this morning, we add to that gratitude along with the saints that have gone before us. Thank you for redeeming our bodies. And thank you for providing, not just once, but again and again and again for so many material needs. Lord, we praise you today as the God of holistic provision. Not merited by us, but received as a gift through Christ. And we pray that your word this morning would increase our faith and help our unbelief for your glory. Amen.